I'm Dapper Dan Kvostin, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. And I'm Mischievous Marchinacchio, and I, too, own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals. But, Dan, according to my watch, the annuals don't count. Do you have a watch that just switches between count and don't count? It's a, it's a watch that tells me from a collectability scale what I need to be paying attention to. It's an amazing little thing. You should get one yourself someday, okay? I, so, I'm just, uh, I, I, I want to get you a watch now that just says don't count on it. And it's just <laughs> at all hours of the day. It's always reading don't count. There you go. Anyway, welcome everybody to the Amazing Spider Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks for joining us for this review episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. If you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future and watch collecting, subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app and leave us a review to help spread the word about our show. Yeah, this podcast exists because of the support of our Patreon members. If you want to receive early episodes, exclusive artwork, and keep this podcast going, go to AmazingSpiderTalk.com and consider joining our Patreon, where all the episodes of Season 6 are going up several weeks early, including interviews with some of our favorite Spider-Man creators and comics podcasters. We're four episodes into Season 6 at the time that we're recording this, so by the time you're hearing it, it's probably many more than that. But today on the show, Mark and I are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 6, Number 28. This issue was written by Zeb Wells. The cover pencils and interior pencils are by Ed McGinnis. Inks by Mark Farmer. Colors by Marcio Menez. And of course, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This issue was first released on June 28th, 2023. Mark, why don't you give us a recap of this issue? Sure thing, Dan. A uh, lot, lot of heavy-duty reading here, so uh, bear with me. J. Jonah Jameson is rushing through the lobby of Oscorp, and he needs Peter Parker. He's distraught about the state of Doc Ock's mechanical arms, and he needs Peter's help to put them back together. Norman Osborn is pretty skeptical about all this, but Jonah browbeats him. Don't be a heartless ghoul, you you many times over sociopathic homicidal maniac, he says. In a sense. Norman relents because, you know, the Sin Eater's gun and everything, and, you know, the arms go in for surgery. So then we flash over to Craven the Hunter, or whoever this character is, since I now find Kurt Connor's status quo to be easier to follow. Otto is showing off his new Octoids, 
who are certainly aggressive before they in fact turn on Craven as part of a demonstration. Back to Jonah and Oscorp. Peter is finishing up with the tentacles and Jonah is showing a lot of attachment to these things. Peter asks, what's up with that? And Jonah goes on a monologue about them coming around his place more often, curling up in bed, keeping his feet warm, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> okay, this is some weird stuff, right? Peter finds it so off-putting, he actually calls Jonah by his given name, John. Norman finishes up his surgery on those badly beaten arms, and indeed, as he suspected, the arms get a life of their own and start sabotaging Oscorp. Right on cue, Otto and his Octoids are entering Oscorp and get by security via the clever trick of emailing the receptionist's ex. What a monster. Jonah tells Peter to get into costume, but it's really all too late. Otto has breached the building, and while Spider-Man is seconded by his own robot, Bug, Otto makes quick work of both and starts squeezing the life out of Spidey. For the second time in the past six months, the phrase Bamats shows up in a Spider-Man comic, and I really love that Nick Lowe is upping the vocabulary of these comics. Next, he needs to work on the variants of phrase usage. Also, the editor's notes need to be accurate, but that's neither here nor there. Spider-Man starts to squeak out the words, Norman! And indeed, the Gold Goblin is here to save the day before Otto has a plan for that too and has compromised Norman's tech suit and has knocked him off the board. So that just leaves Spidey still on the verge of passing out, but Adam lets him go and gives us that old cliffhanger about that he's about to take something from both Spider-Man and the Goblin King. Well, I was really pleased to note that you mentioned the letters pages here and the idea of the editor's notes, because the letters pages in this comic have like grown increasingly interesting. And like, I don't want to cover them on every review we do, but like they've been giving us some real like interesting insights into the spider office. In this one, Nick Lowe admits that they were in like a Christmas time crunch when they put out the book that said MJ and Paul were married when in fact they are not married and he wanted to correct the record on it and like hats off to him, you know, like he got a lot of crap about that on Twitter and probably could have just ignored it and moved on with his life. And I'd rather he like have a stronger grasp on what's being printed in his book. Right. But, like, I don't know that I've really seen a retraction in a Spider-Man comic before. You know, like, anyway, I just thought it was worth pointing out because you mentioned it's kind of, yeah. We'd like to apologize for the death of Kamala Khan. In fact, it was not Kamala Khan who died, but <laughs> yeah. know, I'm, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. <laughs> well, we will get the we will get the letters page responding to 26 next issue. And so I, I'm expecting that to be quite a doozy. I get attacked on Twitter a lot whenever I like uh, post about the letters page because like, heaven forbid, Nick Lowe posts you know, print things on that page that are, you know, some people liking it, some people not liking it. You know, people are are up in arms about everything he does. I feel bad for the guy. But, you know, and just interesting to note that that he apologized for something in the back of the issue. And, you know, good on him because, like, were they married? Weren't they married? I mean, I'm glad to have at least some clarification here. 
Dan, how dare you try to humanize a person who is editing Spider-Man comics? Anyway, why don't, we, why don't we talk a little bit about this issue, some overall thoughts, maybe about the the tone and just the general style of it. Like, so I, I am, I'm not going to lie. Like, I wouldn't go as far as calling this comic a palate cleanser, but like, you know, we were talking about this in the last issue and over the last few reviews, kind of the, the just the general dourness of Spider-Man comics. And I don't know, like this was kind of fun. It was kind of light. It was kind of absurd. It's not remotely aligns with any of the previous comics we've been getting for the last year or so. Um, well, maybe the, the, the Black Cat, Felicia, the Black Cat and Spider-Man issues that Joe Kelly wrote, but like, other than that, this tone was kind of out of nowhere, but like, I didn't hate it. I was like, oh, this is fun and silly and kind of reminiscent of like a 70s Spider-Man story. What, what, what were your thoughts on this? I feel very similarly. I had a good time with this. Is a quote unquote good time what I want from a Spider-Man comic? I mean, ostensibly, yes. You know, like, uh, I think so. Like, if I close a comic and I had a good time with it, then, like, great. I don't think this is a really, like, that interesting story or anything. But there's a bunch of, like, nice humorous moments here that are balanced out by some kind of serious serious stakes. You know, but, but the kind of level of stakes you'd see in, like, a 60s or 70s comic. You know, oh, no, Dr. Octopus's tentacles are wrapped around Spidey in some way. And... I won't lie, like, I, I actually think, like, this kind of, like, like not high-concept approach to Spider-Man storytelling is probably what this book needs. You know, like, someone who's not trying to, like, reinvent the wheel and just wants to tell good stories. I don't think this is on the level of the Tombstone or Vulture or Hobgoblin story, but it is much more like a basic Spider-Man tale and there is something, I don't know if commendable is the word about that, but something refreshing about that. I think this is definitely totally sillier than what I would want, even from a 60s or 70s Spider-Man comic. You know, but I, I appreciate, like, I recognize Doc Ock here. Like, that guy is a, a villain that, like, I can chart. Like, okay, yeah, we said put him away for a while last issue, but like in here I'm like, okay, I get who this guy is and where he's at in his journey. And that was kind of enough to kind of hook me in to an otherwise fairly silly story. And I would say like even like Jonah like is is recognizable here, not necessarily like the the Silver Age, like early Silver Age Jonah who who was more of an antagonist, but kind of like you know, the sillier Jonah from like, you know, I, 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 I'm thinking of something like a, from the on the waterfront where like, you know, like he's semi serious, but then like, you know, at the end, he's kind of blustery and, you know, getting his getting his mouth webbed up by Spider-Man. Like, that's kind of like the era of Jonah I'm picturing in this in this comic. I mean, OK, yes. Him talking about like having this like kinship with mechanical arms is utterly like bonkers you know i don't know who exactly greenlit that idea it was also refreshing to just have a story be about spidey or peter really and jonah so much again and not to not to repeat myself and also not to dwell but like so much of the last few months has been kind of embroiled in 
the romance or non-romance of Peter's life. And, you know, I, I, I understand that that's where the, the, the conflict lies in the world of Spider-Man. But, like, he also does have other relationships in his life. And they're good relationships in terms of, like, for capturing entertaining stories. And Jonah is absolutely one of them. And, you know, you could say what you want about this new status quo of Jonah knowing Spidey's identity. But, like, I feel like this was one of the better stories to take advantage of that. You know, like I liked the dynamics between Jonah, Norman and Peter and Jonah being like, well, you know, I don't trust you, but if he does, I do, but you better give these things a chance too. You know what I mean? Like there was good interplay going on. And like, I I feel like it was all true within the character, despite the absurdity of the circumstances that were being presented to us. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to judge like what is absurd and what is not absurd in the pages of a Spider-Man comic, you know, like, (laughs) yeah, I, I think like looking back on like classic stories, it's like ghost hammerhead absurd, you know, like Aunt May inheriting a nuclear uh, silo absurd. <laughs> like the, you know, like even in the most, the runs we love the most, there are really truly absurd things. I think this goes a little too into the cartoony realm for me, like that almost reads like an all ages comic when this comic has really definitely not been that and that's not to say like it shouldn't be able to ebb and flow, but there's just there's just something about the execution that like is just like a half or a full step too silly for me to fully get on board with this particular style of Spider-Man writing. Like the whole tale of Jonah and the legs curling up in his bed. It's cute. It's funny. I get what he's going at for there, but it is like just imagining the person J. Jonah Jameson, who can sometimes be a cartoon character, but is also balanced out by being someone that, like, you recognize as, like, maybe slightly exaggerated reality. I just don't believe that that guy would, like, as Spider-Man's pal, let Dr. Octopus's arms curl up at the end of his bed every night. Like, that just, or even a dog, for that matter, you know? Like, that to me is just kind of, like, absurd. And then, like, you get, like, little art details, like, when they're going in to operate on the arms, they're wearing, like, surgeon's masks (laughs) and, and stuff. And it's absurd. It's like... Why would they? It's it's a machine. Like it doesn't. It, it's not going to bleed on you. And it, it it's. I can see it being clever and funny, but it breaks me out of the reality of this already insane world. I don't feel like even as silly as like sixties and seventies comics, like that. I think Ed McGinnis's art style is much more in line with, and the writing style that Zeb adapts during this is like. I don't think they ever like disbelieved in their world to that level. Like even if they were introduced to something like the Gibbon, who is just a funny, weird character, there was still a like belief that this was a real guy. And I don't know that I like believe that a hundred percent in a comic like this. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I mean, all the same, I do think this is a good change of pace in terms of this, this story right now. I mean, like I feel like they really, couldn't do this the last issue even though like you said i think mcginnis's art style kind of lends itself to doing stories like this because you know we we just had the death of this 
well, I, I don't want to, to repeat my own joke of this major character who's been supporting Spider-Man, but you know what I mean. Like it was a it was a, a, a watershed moment in comics, whether you thought it was a, a popular decision or not, your mileage may vary. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what kind of water is the, yeah. is the question? Yeah, right. But point being like last issue was not the time or the place to do an issue like this. And yet it kind of tried to, but it didn't. And like, I think it struggled as a result and not that this was like, you know, an Eisner award winning comic, but I feel like this was more successful as a change of pace to what we've been getting. Like it, it just felt different and lighter. I enjoyed it. I will probably not remember what happened in it six months from now. That's okay. Like it's, it entertained me. I don't know. Like, like uh, review here. Here's my grade. Yeah, no, I'm just. <laughs> I, I, I agree with you about it being like a palate cleanser, but I don't know that like I need five or six issues of palate cleanser. You know, like as Otto would say, like this isn't a moose bouche. You know, like like maybe like a two or three issue thing, especially with how few the page count is in modern comics you know like this so far the story that i'm reading here is not substantial enough that stan lee and and ramita wouldn't knock this off in one book you know now they had more pages and different style of storytelling back then but like i you know very little happens in this comic i i i'm hoping that there's more to this story and i think the end of the issue suggests that perhaps there will be some psychological element that's brought into this and some kind of uh, something that ties back into the canon of, of Spider-Man by, by the end. I do hope that this evolves in some way to spend this much time on this story, because right now it's kind of a fisticuffs battle, which, again, refreshing, you know, but I, I don't know that I need refreshing all the time. Let's talk a little bit more about McGinnis here, since I think like it really does feel like his style and choices are the driver here. I mean, like it, it, you know, when you, especially when you like compare this to like how, like 900, which was the other big McGinnis story, like it definitely feels like Wells will adapt his storytelling approach to the artist. Um, and I almost wonder if he kind of let, lets the artist just drive the process here. What do you what do you, what do you think about what McGinnis did and how his work is kind of affecting the story? I think that uh, I've been too harsh on this guy in the past, and it was reflected on the Slack. Everybody gave me a hard time for kind of beating up on on his work. I and I and I'll say I don't dislike his work. I think he's an incredibly talented craftsman and storyteller. Like I remember reading his Web Warriors back in the day and thinking. This is like the most fun book that's coming out right now. And uh, and I think that's like where he's probably best suited is in like kind of silly flights of fancy or like slightly funnier classical styling. Again, like, like I think some of just some of the choices that he's made, whether that's driven by Wells or by him or just a half step too silly. But like I, I can acknowledge that his designs are really cool. Like, the I I don't love the 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 little Autobots or whatever they they're called the, the Octoids um, the Octoids the Octoids they're a little 
like too cute for a villain, but the way that he draws them connecting together and then snapping into place to let Otto rip things off their hinges and how the eyes of the little octoids then line up and become the, you know, the, the suckers on the tentacles. It's cool. Like he really thought that through that design and it's really cool looking. But again, it's, it just doesn't work for me for whatever reason. Like I just find it kind of too, self-aware too cute by half but i can't deny that there's still like some not some standout images in this like jonah standing over a shopping cart of otto's arms made me laugh just how awkwardly posed the shot is you know like there, there's some real clever stuff there like the first reveal of otto with his arms in that like full page spread like really suggest some like power and menace behind the character. I like his page layout of Otto in the trench coat walking into the building, followed by this like horde of 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 Autobots. Or, or what am I calling them, Mark? Octoids. Octoids. Yes. Um, and like the Otto tearing off the unbreakable door. One I thought was a well you know, paste joke from Wells and McGinnis together. It's the unbreakable door rip, you know, it's funny, but it also sells menace. Yeah. I'm going to say doing this right after something happened with the Titanic too. I mean, come on, come on, come on. Where's our sensitivity folks. Anyway, (laughs) you're like, edit it out, edit it out. No. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know, man. Like I wish I was higher in praise of like the Ed stuff on this book, but like, I just know that this pairing of him and Wells is going to give me some silly, it's not a material to me. It's not like the JRJR stuff, no matter if you like the story or not, feels like this is triple A comics storytelling where both people are giving it their all. And this feels kind of like, well, we're having a fun time. At the risk of sounding very controversial here, I will say that Yes, when you're comparing McGinnis to J.R.J.R., it's 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 very off-putting. Not because I think J.R.J.R. is quote unquote better, but like it's just stylistically so different, and and is much you know like I think it emphasizes more of the grit and 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 realism of the Spider-Man universe. I don't know if these issues came in a sequence of issues that I would say you're gonna get mad at me for this, Dan. Like Ryan Otley. I don't think oh, it would I be. Mean, I, I don't think it I would was be that say jarring. Ryan Stegman. Like I think Stegman like distorts his villains and stuff in, in the same manner, you know, emphasizing their animalistic stuff. It's just I can't think of two artists more like polar opposites in their approach than like McGinnis and Ramita Jr. But the dif- but the difference seems to be like here is like okay, so like Otley had. Nick Spencer writing for him and and whereas I felt like I always during that run I always thought the Otley Spencer issues were the best but like I don't feel like Spencer varied his writing that much for the artist for better or for worse Zeb is clearly changing his writing style based on the art like it's just it's like this is the Zeb frankly this is the Zeb I was worried we were gonna get when he was announced as the main writer on the book, because like I was thinking back to like, you know, the avenging issues he did with Joe Mads and like some of the Peter Parker Spider-Man issues he did, like, you know, the beach blanket bingo ones and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want like silly, you know, airhead style Spider-Man books for an entire run. And instead they, but they paired him with J.R.J.R. And he kind of like 
took his writing in the direction, and you know, this is going to get certain segments of the fan base yelling at me, but took his writing in the, in the style of a Jam Straczynski or a Jane Demetrius or something like that in terms of a darker, more cerebral storytelling that aligned with that art. In this case, like Zeb is like, you know, he's kind of going the Chip Zdarsky, you know, more, you know, or earlier or other kind of Zeb run in terms of the silliness of it. And and I think like that's where everything just kind of gets accentuated. Like that kind of art could work in a darker story if it's paired well, but it's that's just not what they're looking for here. They they are making choices here and and like they're they're at least being consistent about it because like I said, every one of these comics that the two of them have done together have been consistent in terms of how they look, how they feel, how they sound. Well, Avenging Spider-Man is a really great comparison because like you yeah, you get the Joe Mads arc that opens that up with like Red Hulk and and the silliness of the mole people and all that stuff. And Jonah, I think that Jonah there is actually very similar to this Jonah here. But more of an antagonist, obviously. But like then later on in that run, you know, you got Zeb doing the like Captain America and Hawkeye issues, which were like really heartfelt and grounded and really character oriented. I think there it's like that's an anthology series, like largely, you know, and here we're, we're getting a run. And so it's like, I don't know if that anthology approach works all that well here. But you're right, like the the last issue transition allowed me to accept the silliness of this one more. And so I did find myself having a good time, but still asking myself in the back of my head, like, is this the same story? <laughs> like, you know, like like two issues ago, we had a death of a character and now we've got like, you know, like silly tentacle parts like attacking Craven the Hunter. They, they feel very different. Yeah. Well, you know, where is a great place to ask these rhetorical questions, Dan? Where, Mark? The Slack. Do you want me to tell you all a little bit about the Slack? I would love it if you would, Mark. Okay, well, hundreds of listeners like you, and I mean you, Dan Gavazin, hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on Slack. The amazing Spider-Slack community is absolutely free to join, and you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting conventions, movies, New comics, old comics, and more. Dan, I didn't mean to imply that I'm not on the Slack. I kind of am. You're far more than I am. But since that's the case, can you tell us what's been going on in the Slack this week? Yeah, actually, today there was an interesting discussion happening. Um, One of our members, Chris Sutcliffe, uh, introduced the discussion of whether or not we think Peter has ADHD. And if he uses Spider-Man as a distraction from his life in the way that many people with ADHD do. I I have ADHD myself. And the minute he brought this up, I was like, you know what? That's like a, that's like a half decent point, you know, like, and not just to draw a comparison between myself and Peter, but like, there are those, there are those issues where like Peter is like in his apartment and he's like, well, I could get work done or, I could go swing around town or whatever. And there is something there. Um, he was pointing on an issue of like Marvel age issue 27. I'm not familiar with this issue, but he used it as like a case in point. So anyway, I, I thought it was an interesting discussion. Mark, where, if you were just to you know, come in on this, I know you're not technically licensed to diagnose someone with ADHD. Uh, not yet. I know you're working on it, but would you, do you think there's a case to be made that Peter has ADHD? I mean, I already got in trouble when I diagnosed people with projection issues, so I guess I might as well go full <laughs> full on here. 
No, I mean, it's it, it's an interesting point. I mean, it's just so funny because like, you know, all uh, I'm, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm about to really get into it here. I was going to say, like, here we there, go. Let's do it. There, Let's do there, it. You know, there. So, you know, for full disclosure, I mean, my son has as ADHD, ADHD and, and is on the spectrum. And it's like, you know, I think like you see these diagnoses now and like so much more of this stuff is like recognizable and diagnosable now that like, frankly, 50, 60 years ago, people just didn't understand or didn't diagnose or it was just like oh that person's hyper or that person just can't pay attention or and and yeah or just have these conversations about these kind of things yeah yeah and and i and i feel like you know you have to wonder if this character of spider-man as a character was created today would this be a discernible part of his biography because it certainly seems that this is the case you know what i mean i'm waiting for that to be the new hickman approach in the new ultimate (laughs) universe okay i got the great i got the next big idea it's spider-man but wait for it yeah, he's got ADD. <laughs> <laughs> we're putting him on this. We're putting him on the autism spectrum, folks. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, like, it's, it's just, uh, you know, anyway, it's it, I, I mean, and you could probably make similar kind of diagnoses for other superheroes and villains. It's a it's it's a great discussion point, which you can only find in the slack. And God bless the slack for being a place where people can talk about this stuff, especially people with without medical licenses but you're still not getting yelled at for it right i mean yeah (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. i'll say it was a very respectful conversation i imagine from people who have adhd and identified it in someone else so uh anyway you can come join our amazing slack it's a great place to talk about all things spider-man comics etc there's a link in the description of this episode that'll let you sign up in less than a minute we hope to see some of you there all right, let's get back to talking about issue 28. So um, we've talked about Otto a bit here. I I think this is really his issue. Like Peter has very little to do here. He kind of gets beat up almost immediately. He gets a nice splash with him and Bug doing their thing before Bug gets torn to pieces, which is a reoccurring joke that I like and was glad that <laughs> Peter acknowledged, why do I keep rebuilding this? Yeah, um, right. That was, that was funny. What what was your read on like Otto here? Do you like the writing of this character in this issue? I, I, I do. It's funny. Like, you know, we were talking about last episode, like how uninterested we were in the storyline of Otto here. And I don't know if that's changed per se, but like kind of similar to, the drama and depression of Peter in this comic. Like we're really not getting, this is not a deep cerebral look at Otto here and like what he, I mean, yes, he drops that line at the end of like what you took from me, Goblin King, which kind of insinuates that he's been searching his memories and is starting to learn more. Um, but like, it's not, it's not the driving point of the conflict of the comic. The, the driving conflict here is Otto is a megalomaniac and you know, who's, like, you know, prides himself on being able to outsmart his adversaries. And that's what he does here. And it works. And Otto is a total threat. And, you know, before, you know, the angry internet crowd starts talking about, why can't Spider-Man just web Otto up and punch him out? I mean, like, you know, the first appearances of Otto in in the Dicko era, Otto gets the better of Spider-Man and lets him free. You know what I mean? Like, just like the Vulture did. Although, you know, the Vulture beating up Spider-Man was a very conflicted point for many people <laughs> Spider-Man. <laughs> anyway i i would say that you know this is again aligned with kind of the classic portrayal of the character are we you know treading new ground here absolutely not do we need to i mean at some point yes but like 
I don't feel like this was the story. And, you know, that's not to say that we're still not going to try to, but like, I still don't necessarily care about what Otto thinks he's trying to learn about himself between the end of the superior B book that nobody read. And I'll, I'll take these, these stories again, as a, as an amouche bouche of Otto, just like being a smart ass who can wreak havoc and come close to killing Spider-Man, but likes to toy with him and lets his own, you know, ego undo him basically. I think I agree with all of that. I think the thing that I'm still missing is like, what is this story about? Like, what does Otto want? Like, it seems like he wants to get revenge, but it's such a strange way of going about it, I guess. I mean, yeah, we got the free comic book day issue where he had Craven use that gorilla to get a spider bomb and then he could reverse engineer it here to take out the gold goblin. I mean, talk about four-dimensional chess i i just want to know what he's after you know is it just revenge you know and and in which case then like what does he remember about that now we're probably going to figure that out because we got that line dropped at the end about the goblin king and you know it made me revisit the end of the second superior run uh to figure out what is it exactly that we know that Otto knows and so these, these this is what Otto knows he remembers his life as elliot tolliver which is the persona that he took on when he moved out to San Francisco in the Superior Spider-Man Volume 2 run and fell in love with a different woman, then Anna Maria, which was kind of strange and led to some conflict, and became a bit of a superhero there. Probably his most noble period as Superior Spider-Man was, was during this. So he remembers that life fairly clearly. He remembers his time as Spider-Man, uh, as a dim re- recollection and he definitely does not and they make clear of this he does not remember Peter's identity and the details of Peter's life so he has some vague idea that he got he became slightly more heroic and he was Spider-Man for a time and now it appears he also remembers that Norman was the Goblin King and they had some an epic brouhaha towards the end of that uh, or during the end of that run. So whether that means he has regained other memories alongside that, or if that's just something he remembers before, you know, uh, from his deal with Mephisto, I guess we're going to find out. He doesn't seem to be an auto that is acting as if he knows Peter's identity and remembers his whole time as the superior Spider-Man. But I do hope that this story can kind of, flesh out like who and what Otto is now, you know, in, in a more concrete way. Yeah. I mean, it's just, again, like we said last episode, I mean, I think for the sake of storytelling, we need to know, but like, do I want to know or do I care to know? I don't know. I'm not trying to be glib here, but it's just like, you know, similar. I mean, don't get me wrong, Otto's status quo, and this is not saying much, it's it's a low bar I'm about to clear here, but like, you know, Otto's status quo is a, at least easier to understand than, say, Cravens or the Lizards, but like, not by much, um, and it's just kind of like, all right, uh, we're going to do this, okay, but this was very classic, ego, maniacal Otto, and, you know, at least from like a presentation of a threat, like, I, you know, I found this battle more harrowing than 
Spider-Man versus Rabin two issues ago. <laughs> and that was supposed to be the end-all be-all of a major arc. So, you know, like, again, your mileage may vary. I, 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 I agree with that. I think, like, what I'm hoping for from this story is an understanding of why dust off Otto, you know, like, and it might not give that to me, but uh, that's what I, what I feel like I need because this could have been any big villain threat. If it, if it was handled with this level of like moment to moment care, like I would say like, like the writing was solid, the action beats made sense, but you could do that with almost any villain of a, a big enough threat or you could write them with a big enough threat. Why Otto? And my hope is that the final page of this issue suggests there will be something more to this. Or else why end an issue with a, a threat as like specifically targeted as calling Norman the Goblin King? That's my hope at the very least. So so speaking of confusing villains, I, I, I see a note on the page here that we want to talk about Craven. What do you want what what else is there to say about Craven the Hunter in the year of our Lord twenty twenty three here, Dan? I enjoyed the free comic book day issue that kind of reintroduced Craven here decently enough. It's a strange issue. Like it has Spider Man fighting a a gorilla and then kind of the public being like, Why are you abusing animals? And then Craven's like, no, 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 that gorilla, he was really like the king of uh, his territory. Whatever. The way it was drawn by Patrick Gleason was really cool. Like his Craven is really exciting looking in, in that in that preview there. And I, I don't mind McGinnis's Craven here. He's a little goofy looking, but I don't really know how he ties into this story. And I was kind of hoping for more. And like, I just don't really see Craven as a guy that would play second fiddle to Otto and be like toyed with like this. Of course, I don't really know this Craven terribly well. Um, I'm assuming he's just like old Craven because that's how they've been treating him. I did like that he called Otto out on like his toys undercutting the struggle that he's, you know, that's kind of a Craven thing. He would be like, I don't need help. Like it's a mano a mano fight with me and Spider Man. It's about the rawness of nature, but like I thought this was a really weird inclusion of Craig Craven in this particular issue am i putting too much on this mark i don't know if you're putting too much on this but like he's like a I, big villain you like, know, like, joked, you know, like like i've joked about before like i can't keep up with who and what this character is anymore and i know you're talking about the free comic book day issue which i have and which i read but i i, I gotta be honest dan i don't really remember it <laughs> it, it didn't it didn't leave a huge impression that i remember the gorilla fight craven has been so diluted in terms of status quo changes and shifts and is it a clone is it a son is it a nephew is it a you know uh, oh here's a flashback story it's craven's butler you know what i mean like <laughs> I, I i i'm kind of like and yes he's getting a movie there's a trailer i haven't watched the trailer should i watch the trailer dan is the trailer worth watching or um uh it's fine there's a part in it that is worth watching for the laugh I could spoil it here if you, if you if you truly want to know whether or not to watch it. Okay, there's a there's a there's a point where Craven fights a lion in the trailer and the lion hurts him and a drop of the lion's blood gets into Craven's bloodstream and that's how he gets supernatural powers. <laughs> yeah. Sony Pictures, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, point yeah. being he is getting is a video game though and that looks great. 
Is that for for PlayStation or something? Or, or yes, yeah, okay. It is, yeah. I'll, then I'll never play it, Dan. Like I'm sorry to hear that. I, yeah. I am a Nintendo only house, Dan. Point being, what is Craven? Who is Craven? Why is Craven? <laughs> Where is Gamora? I don't know. Craven, the end. What do you got? <laughs> That's it. Let's get to some grades. Despite my my kind of existential rantings here i'm gonna give this a, a b minus i'm overrating it dan i know i am you're gonna you're gonna throw some cold water on me but b minus no i'm not too far off i'm giving it a c plus all right all right there you go look at that it's an attractive looking issue it's fine it's fun like i don't yeah. want the, like you like you i don't want this for the next five issues but this is fine and fun for now agreed well, why don't you take us home mark well, it is that time, time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning into this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. This podcast exists because of listener support on the Patreon. For only $3.99 a month, you can help support our show's existence while getting early episodes, including these reviews the same week the comics release, exclusive artwork, and a ton of other bonuses. Thank you to everyone who already supports us and the work that we do. Plus, we want to issue a special thank you and welcome our newest patrons, Shenron, Matthew C. Hernandez, Willie Holland, John, and Lisa Gullickson, who was a recent guest on our show. I guess she enjoyed joining us so much she signed up for the Patreon. <laughs> wow. Do we have to reciprocate or what? How's that I, work? I, I'm going to have to now. Uh, uh, yeah. All right. All right. This is a very Curb Your Enthusiasm scenario. So they signed up for my Patreon. What, what am I supposed to do, Leon? You got you got to get in that. You got you to sign up. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> this is uh, the kind of good stuff you can get on the Patreon. Mark reenacts uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Dun, dun, dun. To download our earliest episodes, including interviews with legendary creators like JMD, Tom DeFalco, Ron Friends, Mark Bagley, not Larry David. I wish we had him. But others... Others great ones. Subscribe to our Amazing Spider Talk Back Issues podcast on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, this podcast was edited by Rick Coast. The video version of the show is available on YouTube and was edited by Alex Galucki. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friend, Sal Buscema, and Nick Cagnetti. Our theme songs were produced by Ryland Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider Madge. And our animated intro was created and performed by Josh Sutton. So, Mark, until you wake up and find Swarm's larva curled up at the foot of your bed, keeping your feet warm with their cuddly embrace, what's our motto? Oof. <laughs> With great podcasts, there must also come the amazing spider talk. Don't, don't miss the next-